You are listening to Shining Star Community Church, English Ministries Sunday Message. Please visit us at www.shiningstar.life. So we all know this popular story, right? There's Noah. It's a big, he's got a big boat. And we got all those animals coming in two by two. Two dogs, two cats, two lions, two monkeys, two snails, two rabbits. You get the idea. And then we hear, we hear of the great flood as well. God was angry at the people because they were sinful. They were wicked. And so he brought judgment upon them. It rained. It really rained. It poured. It flooded. People died. But Noah's family was safe. Then after about a year, the water receded, and then the animals all departed out of the ark two by two. And then this glorious, beautiful rainbow appeared, and God, he promises to never again flood the entire world. The end. Let's close in prayer. I'm just kidding. So when we hear the story, there's really, there haven't been any type of shortage of sermons that give really cutesy little kind of pointers and titles and things like that. So I want to name a few because I thought these were pretty interesting or cute. One was, don't miss the boat. Another one was, remember that we're all in the same boat. Another one was, plan ahead. It, was raining. it wasn't raining when Noah built the ark. Another one is, stay fit. When you're 600 years old, someone may ask you to do something really big. Another one is, don't listen to critics. Just get on with the job that needs to be done. Another one was, build your future on high ground. Another one was, for safety's sake, travel in pairs. Another one was, speed isn't everything. Remember, the snails were on board with the cheetahs. Another one was, when you're stressed, float a while. Another one was, remember the ark was built by amateurs, the Titanic by professionals. <laughs> and lastly, no matter the storm, when you are with God, there's always a rainbow at the end. Everyone say, aw. <laughs> right? That's, that's really cute. There's really two ways to approach the story. You can either focus on the controversial points, like, was it really and accurately a global flood? Was the extent of the flood that reached to the four corners of the world, the whole earth? I mean, how big was the ark really, that it was big enough to house and carry every single animal, not just one of each, but two of each, for an entire year, feed them, take care of them? In fact, how, was, how did they manage the waste disposal? What did they do with that? How can they do that? Well, I know these are all interesting questions, and I also believe there's a different, there's a actually deeper point to make, though. You see, when Moses, when he wrote this account, he was, he was writing it to his people, the Israelites, right? Now, he and the Israelites, they were already believers of the story, meaning they knew it was true. I mean, why wouldn't they? They've seen the miracles of God. They saw the firsthand power of the Lord. They know that God has, is absolutely holy and he has, he has absolute hatred towards things that are wicked. And so the flood narrative, it wasn't mythological. It wasn't fantasy. It was historical. It was true for them. So we know that Noah wasn't saved because he was righteous. He was saved in spite of it. Meaning of all the people of the earth, God showed favor upon Noah and his family simply because God wanted to. God says, I showed favor upon Noah and his family because I want to. It's the same thing with me. We have about, let's say, 100 people here. Yeah, $100. I say, Jesse, here's $100. John, here's $100. And the rest of you guys, nothing. Can you guys get upset at me? Was it your money to begin with? No, exactly. So it's my blessing. It's my grace to give. And I decided to give it to them. 
not you all. So you can't say it's unfair, right? So God, he gave favor to Noah and his family, and he saved a small family, and he started all over from there. So the assumption is that God had already, get this, had already saved Noah from the start of this passage. Now, when you read in verse 9 that Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation, it means this, that he was obediently and faithfully living out his justification by living a sanctified life. Let me explain. Justification, have you guys ever heard of that term, right? Justified means to be legally declared righteous before God, as in this, you are saved. Okay, you're saved, you're justified. Sanctified means that while you live here on earth, while you live and breathe, us as a new creation, our new nature will draw us to be more like Jesus, more like him, and less like the world. Okay? That's what sanctified means. It means that we are becoming holier, and we are becoming godlier, and that we're hating sin more, and that we're progressing away from sin more. That's what a sanctified life means. So that's where Noah's at. He's living a sanctified life. The text says, Noah walked with God. And that's beautiful. That's what our path of sanctification is all about. Walking more and more with God and less and less with the world. Can you say amen? amen. Okay. So we know that, now we know that the people were corrupt and they're doing wicked and horrible, horrible things. In fact, maybe it was worse then than now, but we see wickedness all around us too, don't we? But even in that type of life, where everything was corrupt, where everyone was corrupt, even like the most noble person or upstanding individual of whatever town in that area was still corrupt, Noah still exemplified what it meant to walk with God. So I want to describe a few pointers, okay, about this particular Noah individual who God had already graced with salvation and who is now living in walk and step with God, walking with him, okay? And our first point is this, Noah was godly. Can you all say godly? Now, you've heard of that word before, godly. What does that even mean? It's really, I would say, the highest form of compliment that you can give any Christian. Now, on my tombstone, I, I hope I have wonderful dad, wonderful husband, and all that stuff. But one thing I would love to have, take note, wife, is this. He was a godly man. He was a godly man. In fact, it's a serious word. You can be an amazing parent. You can be a zealous church worker, an incredible speaker for God. You can be a talented Christian leader, a discipler among disciples. You can be a dynamic praise worshiper, praise leader. But hear this. None of that, none of that matters if you are not godly. None of that matters if you are not a godly person. The word godly is really a word that's mentioned only a few times throughout Scripture. But every time it's mentioned, it's full of meaning. It's full of meaning. Godliness, by the way, is not next to cleanliness. I don't know who made that up, okay? But godliness, godliness means this. It means devotion in action. Devotion in action. It's about walking with God. Walking with God. In fact, in Genesis chapter 5, although we didn't get to it, Moses described Enoch as the one who walked with God. Then much later on in Hebrews chapter 11, during the chapter of the Hall of, Fame, of Faith, Enoch is also described, but a little bit differently this time. No longer as just a man who walked with God, but the one who pleased God. So here we have walking with God and the one who pleased God. So what did that mean? It meant that Enoch walked with God, get this, by enjoying a relationship with God, and this pleased God. Godliness really means a devotedness. 
and Enoch was devoted to God, I think it's safe to say that we're often split in our devotion, wouldn't you say? In this day and age, we think of devotion as just like an attitude towards God that, that's pleasing to him. So we believe that devotion and thus godliness is just a warm, fuzzy, emotional feeling about God. We get this feeling when we maybe worship him. We get this feeling maybe when we sing some really good songs, when we go on missions, when we perform some good things, some charitable, hospitable, generous things in the name of God. To us, we think those are acts of devotion. But devotion is not even just even a time of Bible reading or QT or prayer. It's not moments of thought and reflection or activity, like I mentioned about QT missions or worshiping. Devotion, get this, is a constant attitude that consists of three things. Fearing God, loving God, and desiring God. That's devotion. That's living a godly life. Fearing God, loving God, and desiring God. Can you all say Amen. Now, Noah was a godly man because he feared God, he loved God, and he desired God. This godliness was the reason for his morality as a righteous person. It was why he was good, benevolent. It's why he was zealous. You see, a godly person is moral. A godly person is good. A godly person is zealous because of his devotion to God. So let me get practical here. It's impossible for anyone to live a godly life without first having a foundation of devotion to God. Because to cultivate godliness, you must first cultivate a relationship with God, right? And from that relationship leads to a life that is pleasing to God. In order to please God, we must first walk with God. In order to walk with God, we must first fear God, love God, and desire God. But that can't happen unless we have God. And how might we have God? By embracing Jesus as Lord and Savior. You see how everything goes back to Christ. Everything goes back to Jesus, what you do with Jesus. Will he continue to be the Savior and Lord of your life where you devote your life and surrender every piece of who you are to him every single day or not? If you want to grow in your godliness and holiness and and devotedness to him, it all starts with what you do with Christ. So Noah was a godly man in the midst of ungodly people. People, hear me out. This world will not get better. Tension your neighbor and say it's not going to get better. Was that, are you guys, were you guys encouraged by that? Temptations will increase. Say that to each other. Say sin is right outside your door. Yeah, I'm sorry, but I'm not sorry. That's the truth. Sin is right outside our door. It's going to clamp down on us. Now is the time. Now is the time, okay? Not when we think we're going to have a better president or a better Supreme Court or better this or better that. Now is the time for us to draw closer to God. You want a New Year's resolution for you and your family? The year's already up. Can you believe that? 2016 is already over. Like I, man, it's so true. The older you get, the faster time goes. The year is almost over, and if you guys want a New Year's resolution, let it be godliness. Let it be godliness for you and your family, fearing God, loving God, desiring God. So yes, it's good to pray and read the Bible. Of course, it's good to be with your church community. All these things are good, necessary. They are deeply spiritual and wonderful. But it's about your personal walk with God that we're asking. Are you actively surrendering yourself to God and actively get this resisting the world? You can't walk in your marriage with Christ while flirting with the world. Noah was deemed godly because in him was a lifestyle, in him was a mindset, a heart's attitude that was so diametrically and so categorically different from his contemporaries, so different from his peers, his friends, that the Bible said he was blameless by comparison. 
Noah and Enoch were the only ones in the Bible that the Bible describes as men who walked with God. Turn to your neighbor and say, let's walk with God. My second point is this. Noah was an obedient man. Look at verse 22. Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. So this verse, it comes right after God had given the specific instruction for building the ark, right? So here we have Noah, and he did everything the Lord commanded, meaning Noah's obedience was complete, okay? But also note that Noah did everything just. Get this. Noah did everything just as the Lord commanded, meaning Noah's obedience was absolute. Everything was complete. There was nothing halfway about his obedience. There was no, I'll add this or I'll take away from that or this blueprint doesn't make much sense so I'll modify that or I'll use cherry wood instead of gopher wood. Has anyone ever heard of gopher wood? Anyways, right, instead of, I'll make this 350 cubits long instead of 300 because I think God may have gotten that wrong. It needs to be way longer. So I'm going to go ahead and extend that. Neither did Noah bargain about God with the animals. He didn't say, I want only the cute cut animals to come into this ark. Pandas, koalas, puppies, okay? But nothing. Leave the poisonous snakes out. Leave the dangerous lions, the ugly warhogs, the vicious cats. Leave them out, okay? I know. I'm sorry, Kathy, but I'm sticking to it, right? <laughs> but that's the reality. He could have said, but God, can we go ahead and just give and take a little here? Our obedience to God has often been more about what I can get away with than doing completely what he asks of me. We're constantly trying to negotiate with God, aren't we? God says, give me your life, and we say, I'll give you my weekend. God says, surrender your finances to me, and we say, I'll give you my time instead of my wallet. God says, be pure before marriage, and we say, well, I'm going to marry him and her anyways. Does it really matter? Isn't it interesting how often our obedience never really is complete and never really is absolute? There's always some sort of compromise, some sort of deal that we're making with God. Did you know that complete obedience, it brings us to a greater death to our relationship with God? When you completely and absolutely obey him. When you completely relinquish all your rights to him. And so when we don't surrender it all to him, then that's how we'll live the rest of our lives, really. In partial faith. Impartial obedience, impartial community, impartial worship, impartial relationship with him, never knowing the full measure of his love and will. And how sad. It's like a husband only sharing in the few things of his life to his wife. What will happen to that marriage? It will be so stunted. It will be so short, so shallow, so frustrating even. Complete and absolute obedience or nothing. We'll be the ones missing out if we compromise in this. Can you want to say Amen. Thirdly, Noah was a bold guy. Turn to your neighbor and say, be bold. Now, it doesn't say this in the text, but I get it from 2 Peter chapter 3, 2, verse 5. It reads this. If he did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness, with seven others when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. A herald of righteousness. A preacher of righteousness. A spokesman of righteousness. You see, Noah, he wasn't just a, an obedient stickler to details type of guy. He did more. In fact, during the 120 years before the flood, as Noah was building away at the ark, he was also, get this, preaching righteousness, preaching righteousness to his own generation, to the people around him. Can you imagine that? During all that time, hammering away, there he also stood preaching the gospel. 
Now, some of us here have a hard time sharing the gospel to others. Part of the reason is because we feel unsure ourselves of what the gospel is. Sometimes we also think, well, we're not knowledgeable of the Bible enough to have a dialogue with people because if they were to ask me any type of question, clarifying question, I don't know if I could respond appropriately. But a big part, I would say, of our reservation is simply because we're afraid. We're afraid that the people will think we're like those Westboro Baptist Church, which, by the way, that church is nothing like the Acts 2 biblical church, and they've actually been renounced by the Southern Baptist Convention and by all mainline denominations as heretical, godless, and satanic. So some of us feel like if we share the gospel, if we tell people how much we love Christ, and if we represent the light of Jesus, that they'll think we're crazy, uneducated, ill-informed, knuckle-dragging idiots. Well, let me tell you what Noah was dealing with. During that time, get this, it had never rained. Think, I know it's hard to think about that because we know that it rains now. But at that time, it never rained. Now, people can go ahead and argue about that, but there is far more evidence to support that. Right? For instance, the fact that life, the people, vegetation all existed through another source of hydration than rain. After all, in chapter 2, verse 4 and 5, it says, For the Lord God, just chapter 2 of Genesis, the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground. And a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. That's pretty clear. So we can deduce that while water obviously did exist, there was never any sign pointing to any crazy torrential rainstorms that we're accustomed to. So with that background knowledge, okay, just imagine even in our day, the 21st century, November 20th, it has never rained, let's just say, ever. But then, as you're in your house, you hear this, and you go outside and you see your neighbor starting to build this massive boat. It's on dry land, and you're nowhere near any body of water. And the whole time he's saying, hey, David. I'm like, hey, neighbor, what are you doing? And he goes, you know, God's mad at us, and he wants us to repent, and he'll save us, but... But if you don't call upon his name, this whole place is going to flood with water. And I'm thinking, I'm going to make sure my children never walk past this man unsupervised. In fact, you probably just write him off as a, as a lunatic. He needs psychological help. He needs to be institutionalized. He's crazy. He's talking about that we, that me, that I, that I need to change and get right with some sort of invisible God because this invisible God in his imaginary anger against us is going to send some non-existent natural disaster upon us. Get real. You kidding me? So you think it's hard to share the gospel in this day and age. Think how difficult and awkward it must have been for Noah. Every day, for over a century, he would be called crazy, psycho, lunatic, stupid, ignorant. The list goes on, but what did Noah do? What was it about Noah? Noah knew God. Noah knew God, and he heard from God. And Noah also knew sin, and he knew what God thought about sin. And Noah feared God. And Noah loved God. And Noah desired the approval of God more than anything or anyone else in this world. You see, when it comes down to it, at the end of the day, it does not matter what goes on. All, ma all that matters is where you are with God. You and God. 
How was Noah able to boldly continue on with this seemingly impossible and even crazy talk? Here it is. He never stopped walking with God. Turn to your neighbor and say, never stop walking with God. Listen to me here, people. There's something incredibly simple yet amazing about this complete obedience. Noah believed what God said. He built an ark to save his people. Noah rejected the norms of the world, the norms that were centered on man rather than God. Noah and his family were then delivered from destruction. You too live in an ungodly age, but in Christ we're called to be shining stars in darkness. He wasn't crazy. The world was crazy. No matter how difficult it was, Noah kept going. He kept on obeying. He, we can't be surprised when the world gets more evil and more darker. We can't complain when wickedness and corruption increases. We can't settle and compromise. We must be men of character and women of conviction who stand on the word of God alone. Amen. Don't worry about, the what, about what the world thinks. Don't worry about what the world thinks. Don't worry about what your neighbor or your coworker or your boss or your family member who's not a believer or your best friend, what they think about you and your imaginary God with his imaginary judgment. And here's a word for the families. When Noah entered the ark, get this, listen to me here. When Noah entered the ark, his wife went with him. When Noah and his wife entered the ark, their boys went with them. When their boys entered the ark, their wives went with them. What am I saying? Like, I don't know how, how faithful his children were or not, but it all began with the head of the household. Now, Noah, he represented true godly leadership. I'm not saying this is a guaranteed recipe for a faithful lineage, but I do believe that it's of the utmost importance that we as men, get this, listen to me, brothers here, that we as men, as husbands, as fathers, as future husbands, as future fathers, learn from this passage, you get right with God. You build your character. You pursue righteousness. You be the herald of truth. You walk with God. You enjoy God. And I believe that the stability of your faith will make it easier for your wives and for your children and your grandchildren to see the brilliance of God's promise and faithfulness. Let's seek to be godly examples who walk with God. Amen? Now, I got, I got blown away earlier today. I want to get real for a second here. I picked up my daughter this morning for her Sunday school class. And normally I come a little early and then I go back home to pick her up. And um, so... As I'm driving, usually our conversations consist of things we see outside as we're driving. I'm like, she's like, oh, look, tree, old bird, or whatever, stuff like that. And um, as, as we were just driving, it was just me and her, there was just silence. No biggie. I just thought that she was looking outside the window. And then she pipes up and she says, are you preaching? And I laughed. And I laughed because she's never asked me that before. And I know that that's a word that she recently learned, and so... I, I said, yeah, I, I'll be preaching. And then there was silence again. And then she said something that made me actually start crying at that moment. It just, oh, it just convicted me so much. So after, after she said, are you preaching? And there was this lull, this silence, this moment. And I was chuckling, right? Because I thought that was cute. But then a few seconds passed by, and she said something to me that she's never said before. It was something I knew that was from God. And she set this out of the complete blue. She said, Daddy, do you pray? Do you pray? 
Not are you praying, not will you pray for me, which she said before. But she said, Daddy, do you pray? I got to say, that knocked the breath out of me. I just immediately began tearing up because I think God was talking to me. I think that for the past few weeks, I've been struggling with that. I think, I mean, I pray. In fact, I may even pray a lot. But I don't believe that's what she or God was asking me at that time. Are you praying? Do you pray? I believe at that moment, God was saying, are you walking with me? Are you walking with me? And I started crying and weeping. He was saying, are you enjoying me? I realized for so long, I've been struggling with that. He was asking me just through the still voice of my daughter, my three-year-old daughter who's never said anything like that to me. He says, are you immersing yourself in the living water of my son, Jesus? So in shock, and as I'm just like choking up, and we're passing by 7-Eleven on, on Route 29, I say, yes, but I want to pray better, and I want to pray more. And you know what she said? She started laughing. <laughs> She's like, ha, ha, ha. And I'm like, what are you saying, God? I'm, I'm so broken right now. And I'm humiliated and humbled, and I'm like, be quiet, Ada. What are you saying? Like, she literally just started laughing. I want to become a godlier person, not just for my sake, but for the sake of those in my life. Because we can see from Noah that by God's grace, by his favor, we can be godly men and women in a very ungodly world. And God is asking us simply a very easy question, but a, a deep question. Are you walking with him? Can I end with this last point before it begins to sound too much like, look what we have to do to make things better for our children in the world? Because that's not the point, and that will never, ever be the point. Here's my last point. Christ is our ark of salvation. Now, to those who have yet to have a relationship with Christ, hear me out. God, he could have made the ark himself. He could have, right? I mean, he's gone. He made the whole world, the universe, with the spoken word. He could have made the ark himself, and all within the same day, in the same moment, he could have sent the massive flood, the global flood, <laughs> upon the people, but he didn't. Instead, what did God do? God had Noah spend, get this, 120 years visibly building the ark of safety to warn the people of the coming judgment and to give them a chance to repent. You hear me? Do you see how even in the face of judgment, God still displays his grace? The judgment of sin is inevitable because a holy God will not and cannot allow sin to go unpunished. Then if he did, if he allowed it, if he just swept under the rug, then he would not be God. Just like a righteous and just judge will not and cannot turn a blind eye towards the breaking of the law. But in that God, in his infinite love for you, he had his son take your place of guilt. So think about this, okay? Just as the ark was provided by God, God has also graciously provided for our salvation through Christ. Just as the ark was sealed inside and out with something called pitch, which is a residue, and that word comes from the same root word in Hebrew for the word atonement or covering. Just as the seal pitched and covered every space between the planks of the ark, so the atoning blood of Christ covers all our sins. 
Just as there was only one ark and only one door through which you had to go through to find refuge, God also said in Christ that he is only the way, only truth, and life. No one comes to the Father except through him. Just as the ark saved everyone who entered it, so it is with Christ that everyone who comes to him is saved. No one, comes, no one who comes to him in faith will be turned away. John chapter 6, 37. Just as the ark was a place of total security, no matter how high the waters rose, no matter how violent the winds were, no matter how crazy and scary the outside must have been, it did not matter. The ark was strong. It was so strong. It preserved and it saved everything and everyone inside. This is the same as those who come in Christ will find that they are not only saved, but their salvation is in the very hands of God who saves them forever, eternally secure. You do not have to doubt your salvation, for you do not save yourself. God saves you. And finally, a somber note to end on. Just as God shut the door where no one else could enter at, the po- at that point, the door of salvation right now is open. Anyone could enter and be saved from the coming judgment, but once that door shuts, it will not open again until judgment ends. You see, today, brothers and sisters, November 20th, this Thanksgiving Sunday, is a day of grace. It is a day of grace for us where the building of the ark is made visible to us. You are hearing, okay, and you are seeing and you are witnessing the building of the ark, the gospel message right now. Don't ignore what God is saying to you today. Are you in the ark of safety? I'm not asking about are you religious. I'm not asking about were your parents Christians. I'm not talking about did you go to Bible college or did you go to seminary or did you read the Bible, Genesis to Revelation, or you've done your prayer times. I'm not talking about that. If the floodwaters rose today, will you be safely in the boat or will you be like the skeptics of those days in the days of Noah, screaming, shouting, let us in, let us in as the floodwaters rose? As believers, let us live in this ungodly world as godly men and women. As godly men and women who stand out, who may be called a lot of negative things, but as those who persevere in our walk with God, as we actively devote our lives to him by fearing him, by loving him, by desiring him, but as also ones who proclaim wildly his good news of salvation, no matter how inadequate you may feel, no matter how biblically illiterate you may think you are, no matter how many people may view you and call you crazy, will you walk with God in obedience? And for those who are still on the proverbial fence, if Christ is the ark, won't you enter in Christ by faith? Will you come to him, trusting your life to him, that he is the Lord and that he is the Savior, that he is the ark of your life? We can't be good enough to get to God, brothers and sisters, friends. You cannot earn your way. Do you know what that is? You thinking that you can somehow earn your way and be good enough to a perfect God and to reach a holy God is like thinking that we can doggy paddle our way through the flood. And that's not going to happen. Brothers, sisters, friends, the Lord says something simple. He says, come to Jesus today, my son, the ark of our salvation. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the abundance of your grace and mercy. Today truly is a day of grace. The door has not yet shut. And we have seen and we are witnessing the building of the ark every day. 
Father, perhaps our hearts have been hardened. Perhaps our spirits have been calloused. Perhaps we've been wounded from past experiences, from church, from people who call themselves Christians. Perhaps we're just simply skeptic, skeptical and, and we, it's hard for us to truly believe and surrender. But Lord, that's why we need you right now. We need you to come and shatter that. We need you to lift up that veil. And we need you, Lord, to break our hearts. Holy Spirit, we ask that you come and make yourself known. That Jesus, who is the only way, the truth, and life, has come to us, for us, and has died on your stead and in mine. Through his grace, he has given us salvation so that today, even if the flood waters were to rise, we would know that we would be safely in the ark of salvation and know that God's grace is with us. So brothers and sisters and friends, I want to give you guys just a moment to pray, to reflect on what you've heard. And if you want to believe, but it's just hard, pray and say, God, give me faith. If you're still skeptical, pray and say, God, open my eyes. If there are certain things that you still need to, that you're still battling with, pray and ask God, the God of the universe who's done everything for you and for us to give us understanding. Now's the time, not tomorrow. So let's take a moment and pray and we'll go into our last song. Let's pray.